This is Utah Survivors Podcast with your host, Brandon and Alex. In the world of true crime TV, we're bringing you the stories straight from the survivors. Victims don't become survivors without the help of a community. So every week, we will have a 30-minute interview alternating between a survivor of crime and an organization that helps victims in similar situations. Due to the graphic nature of crime, many of the topics we discuss may be difficult for some listeners. If you are in crisis or triggered by these discussions, please reach out to local and national hotlines listed on our website, utahsurvivors.org. Welcome to another episode of Utah Survivors Podcast. This week on the show, we have Martha. Welcome to the show, Martha. Thank you for having me. So we always start the show out with uh, asking the person <laughs> to introduce themselves a little bit outside of their their trauma, their victimization. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I was born and raised in Mexico and we moved here when I was 10 years old. Um, and I've taken interest in just helping my community out and um, the Spanish-speaking community. And that's kind of been my um, my refuge since I was 15 years old when I became a medical interpreter. Um, but even before that, I, um, you know, was the first one to learn the language. So I kind of just took over the household things and was an interpreter for my parents and still am to this day. Um, so I love language. I love reading and in both languages. And yeah, that's, I take interest in all those things and I've worked in the medical field for the last 10 years and it's something that's super rewarding, um, hard, but rewarding. I can um, understand and, that. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. Right the now, medical interpreting. I, I didn't even think that you. that would be a, a thing, but when, once you said, it, I was like, Oh, obviously that needs to be done. So, yeah. You know, there's a, the idea that, if we come to this country, we need to learn the language, which I 100% agree. But when you're in that situation where you can't even focus on reality, um, you'd want an interpreter to interpret everything. So there's no medical errors or things like that. So it's crucial, you know, to have that service. I think that's true. I think it's beautiful. And I think there's nothing, no matter how good you are at another language, there's nothing about, there's nothing like learning something in your native language. That's right. And so I, we know that you're here to tell us about how you are a survivor of childhood sexual assault mm-hmm. or sexual abuse. Um, and that's what I, this is the part where I feel really awkward. I'm like, let's transition into you as an amazing person to talk about the trauma that has added to your life in ways you haven't wanted it to. Um, but how would you like, what happened to you? I guess is a great way. Right. Yeah. No, no need for awkwardness here. Um, I've, I've been more open since, um, the foundation, you know, and, and the retreat and it's really helps me to open up because I see how impactful it can be to relate to someone. And so that's why I have pretty much no filter now when I speak about this, but I love it. You're like me. I have no filter. And because your episode <laughs> will air before the Foundation's episode, you're talking about the Unique Foundation and the Haven Retreat, right? Yes, okay. correct. And I attended that in August of 2017. And 
I'll first get started into my story because I'll start crying when I start talking about the foundation. But um, yeah, it's very special to me, dear to my heart. Um, and I'll tell you why later. But at first, um, so I was seven years old and my family is uh, uh, very religious and we've always liked to serve the people in our community and such. And my parents were heavily involved in their community um, in Mexico and would often bring, you know, the younger generation over to uh, for my mother to feed them. And that's beautiful. Um, yeah. And so that is unfortunately, even though I was told from like my mother and my father followed, you know, things to prevent such things to happen like sexual assault or anything they made us um aware that our bodies are our own they named things correctly everything was okay um but i was seven years old and i was manipulated and i was um this young man was very inappropriate it started off with jokes and things that i wouldn't understand uh once i did understand things later on in life I, I realized just how skewed and how manipulated my my world was how he groomed um, you right yes from the beginning and you know jokes and things like that that I didn't understand that but I would laugh because I was nervous and um he would tell me oh see you are a bad girl because you understand what this is those things like that oh. just started to escalate yeah and um so it comes time to when he leaves and the night that he is supposed to leave by this time I hadn't seen him in like two or three months. Um, and we were moving, uh, to Mexico or preparing to move, um, to Mexico. And anyway, basically the long story short is I, we moved to Mexico to the United States uh, years later and I thought that that was it like I thought this is he's in a different country like I don't have to deal with it it's it's buried I don't have to deal with it so mm -hmm. um, during that time I was super hypervigilant as a child you know I have a younger sister who has special needs and I specifically go remember going to this party where uh, I was there to support, to enjoy the party with my sister and my brother. And all I could do was chase around my sister because I didn't know that this could happen to boys too. So I just protected oh, her and I yeah. hung on to her and she was like getting annoyed, but I was just like, you know, just looking out for her. Yeah. And when it came time for the photographer to come and take a picture of the kids as a family, I completely forgot that my brother was my brother, that I had a brother, and I just took a picture uh, with my sister. And I actually sent Shalane this picture um, mm -hmm. because when she talks about women that she saved, you know, or that she's helped, and she's looking out and she pictures women, uh, little girls, um, I wanted her to know the little girl that she saved because Aww. at that party, I was clinging on to my sister, and you can see it at the corner of the picture that I shared with her that I was just like 
just so clung on to her and that was my life that is hyper vigilance to you know the max your life was to protect her my life was to protect her and prevent her from going through what i went through when i later as i went through life that was just my focus when i was in any kind of event yeah watching out for the littles like that was my thing you know yeah um when i taught um little kids at church i would empty out the bathrooms before i let any of them like go in there you know and i would leave the door open to the men's bathroom and um just like not walk in there but just say if you need anything just let me know and I'll go get your dad or something you know yeah giving them a so safe I was, place it was just this hyper vigilance and just suppressing everything I didn't tell anybody about my story until I turned 27 years old so when my brother um asked me a question and he said you know I have this boss of mine who shared a um that she was sexually abused as a child. She's really strong. She's, you know, just making all these correlations. And he just out of nowhere asked me, have you ever been sexually abused? And for the first time, I just felt like I could talk about it. And I did to my parents. And I found Aww. a lot of help with, like, um, with just my community. Yeah. Um, I went to therapy things mm-hmm. got worse and they got worse I with had, therapy is that what you're saying i think so yeah. partly it, it gets worse before it gets better totally 100 and then it got better and then it got worse again yeah so you know it's this revolving door thing you're yeah. triggered you don't know how to handle it so i thought i was going crazy i was working up to 60 80 hours a week i was just Oh my gosh, really girl. out of it. Like so working I, 68 hours a week while trying to process trauma, that's intense. Yeah. And then I was, um, so I was working really hard and I was starting to get really sick and I didn't know what was happening. Mm-hmm. So in that whole thing, like everything resurfaced when I was sick because I could no longer suppress those things. Yeah. Because my energy was towards like healing physically. So what and did a lot you? Of my tra- oh, sorry. What did you get sick with? So I have a condition called hydrocephalus, and it's okay. something that runs in my family. Uh-huh. And um, it was discovered later in life for both my brother and I. And I. Okay. Um, and so I've had a series of seventeen brain surgeries in the last four years to like try to tame that down. Go, girl. And so, yeah, it was crazy. And I had just received in 2017, I had received word that my my uh, shunt had failed again oh, and that I needed more surgery. Everything yeah. was resurfacing. I was just lost. And one day I was watching the TV with my dad, just the news, and they ran like a video about the Unique Foundation. And my dad oh. just looked at me and he said, this is something you need to do. And I was like, no, you know, that's nice. but my story is not compared to anyone else's mine is minimal mine lasted three to four months at most yeah and um so that's another thing that i'd wish like survivors would just validate their own story so that yeah. they can improve their life and the life mm-hmm. of those around them you know and but so i think that goes to your hypervigilance though because 
you yeah. think, because you're the last person you worry to take care of, right? You've got to take care of your little sister. You've got to protect those around you. You've got to protect little kids at church. Like, that's where your yeah. hypervigilance gets focused. And yep. so I guarantee if one of those kids went through what you went through exactly, you would be shooting them to the Unique Foundation Retreat and be like, yeah. you're going yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. And that's, you know, the kind of the the drive I've taken since attending and, you know, yeah. um, coming to terms with being a survivor and everything. And just I pass on information like crazy, you know, I yeah. um, through social media, I post a lot. I, I've had about 38 people reach out saying that they're going to apply. Amazing. And I just hope that, you know, even one person, it, it will help and. And that was the focus throughout the whole retreat and throughout the the um, aftercare. Like it was just yeah. it very individualized, and that's what I liked. Yeah. yeah, you come with a community, and yeah, I have sisters that I can lean on for strength that I can't when I don't have enough, you know. And so that's yeah. huge. That and is huge. And so back in 2017, when I was I was suicidal. I uh-huh. came up with a plan. I had a plan oh, completely, uh, purchased everything like I was going to. And then my dad told me and kind of repeatedly told me, just apply, just send, just go for it. And so I did. And I was expe- uh, accepted. And I wasn't supposed to go for a few more months, but they had an opening and they called me and oh. I talked to my boss at that time. And he said, go for it. That's yeah. Just, um, without giving him details of what I was going, he thought I was just vacationing because I had been working so hard. And so, Hey, um, at least he saw how good of a worker you were. Right. (laughs) Right. And so he had no hesitation in approving those days. And so I went and, um, that's where I get emotional because two weeks after I came home, I got rid of my plan and two weeks, two weeks. That's and we weren't even done with our after, you know, aftercare or our um, nine week course that we do online. And I was just, it had changed me that much because I learned to understand that I wasn't crazy, yeah. that I had value and that I'd be okay. And yeah, things in my life are still not perfect and I still struggle, yeah. you know, a lot. But I have the tools and I've accepted the fact that I will heal from things in the future. And that's okay. Because right now I don't have the physical strength to to put in the time yeah. to heal. Like, so I'm trying really hard. But the sense of hope has not left me since August of 2017. And that's through Derek and Shalane, my parents in Christ. They're the people that have helped me the most. And so I just, I scream it to the tops of my lungs because I just have to. Like, there's so many people out there. And. You know, there's the statistics are one in four and one in six. And I'm just like, I don't know, because the percentage of people that have reached out to me after I made a post or something like that, it just 
it baffles me, you know. It and, does, yeah. And uh, right now, I'm I'm hoping like to to get the information out for even family members of mine who could benefit from this. And totally. I just, yeah, that's. So what, my story in a nutshell I'm I trying love really it. hard <laughs> you're good I think like there's so many things stood out to me but just kind of going off what you just barely just said is hope has not left me from that day and I know that I will hit I will heal if I can't right now yeah and that's a beautiful gift like that hope opened a chapter to your life where you didn't end it you chose to keep living yeah and I remember the exact moment when I made that decision and then it was a day, beautiful day at the retreat and I was just like, what if you gave yourself another chance? Yeah. And um, that was just the turning point. And I mean, I've, you wouldn't think of it if you looked at my week because I had a terrible week. Hey, but, we've all um, had those weeks. <laughs> they come and go. Right. And then... The, you know, I got some pretty bad news this morning and things like that. But oh, that thing just keeps just hope and faith and knowing yeah. that I would have missed so much. I would have missed the relationships that I've built yeah. with my retreat sisters who are my rock. You know, I would have missed so many accomplishments of my sister who yeah. is the apple of my eye she's beautiful in every way and Aww. you know I would have missed so many good things with my family and yeah. I'm just glad I'm here to experience the good and the bad now yeah. and I just I was so tired and I'm still tired but I'm hopeful yeah. well I'm going to ask you a couple questions a question because we'll, we're going to pretend like we're back in the world okay <laughs> um at the beginning you mentioned becoming a survivor what does that mean to you yes at first I was very much angry at the world and I blamed all of my difficulty in life just on everybody else but myself um, and becoming a survivor really meant that I was able to uh, take charge um, of my life and say this is what I'm responsible for Mm -hmm. um, and it was, you know, said by Eleanor Roosevelt best that you you can't let someone make you feel inferior without your permission. And I like that was that. really huge for me. Yeah, I like that I worked, quote. Yeah. I want that quote. Yeah, I worked really hard and, you know, in an operating room with like the smartest people on earth, you know, surgeons and everybody. And, and I felt small for so long and um and I realized that my strength was different, but it was the same at the same time because the tenacity that they showed to get through everything that they've gone through uh, is the same that I saw. Yeah. And the the Haven really uh, retreat really helped me because I was able to listen to people have an opinion about my story without any sort of like inhibitions and it was always coming back to the fact that I was a survivor and that I was the boss of my life and the outcome of my life. Yeah. So that's kind of what it, it just means to me. That's beautiful. So tell us a little bit about your experience with the Haven and how, you know, as much as you want to reveal about all the different things that you got to do there, you know, we, 
we'll talk next week a little bit with the unique foundation, but I'd like to hear it from a survivor's perspective, Right. you know, what, what they did, how they felt, what the kind of tools they were given, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So from the get go, like you send in your application and you're like, you have this feeling in your stomach and you're like, do I really need this? Am I taking somebody else's spot? Like that was running through my head. And with my retreat sisters, everybody felt that. Am I taking the spot of somebody who needs it more than me? Yeah. And that's super important that we get that across, that it is your story and you're valid and you're able to to co- go here and accept the tools. Because I, I kid you not, years later after I had been to retreat, I accepted some of the things that I learned because yeah. I thought I wasn't worthy of them. When I was there. Yeah. So it's a process, you know, and while I was there, the first thing is, you know, I get off uh, out of the car and I'm frozen. Like I just, I cannot move. Aww. And one of my retreat sisters, who's my mother's age, yeah. came over to me and said, wait for me, I'll go in with you. And Aww. she's been such a strength to me since. Um, she's like your retreat so, mama. Yeah, she is. I call her my K-mama because she's my koala mama because I just clung on to her, you know. And then I walked in, I got settled, um, and from the get-go, they treat you like queens, first of all. That's beautiful. They don't even let you take your stuff in, really. (laughs) It's uh, like you're going to a five-star hotel. Yeah, even higher than that. It's crazy, like, (laughs) you know, the treatment that you get and... Um, the things that you learn, you're always told these activities are meant for this. If anybody feels uncomfortable, you're welcome to step out. There's always therapists there to like talk through things with. Um, I had Saria and she's, you know, one of the greatest loves and just greatest person, people that I've met in my life. So I love her. And um, (laughs) yeah, so I there were times, you know, where I needed a break. Like I don't know what like starting the yoga like really triggered something in me, so I just left and I well, went and took a nap. And yeah. they Well you, you know, were getting in touch with your body, me. right? Like you yeah. it's something you haven't done in years and years and years, right? Getting in touch with your body. Like that's what yoga yeah. does. And do it doing it in a trauma informed way in a healing space. I can understand why that would be a lot. Yeah, exactly. And so it was just, it was too much for me. And so I went and laid down, took a nap. I woke up to a cute counselor just knocking on my door and saying, Aww. hey, do you need anything? You know, kind of like my mama would do, you know. Yeah. And so it was really beautiful. And yeah. the things that I took most from is learning about my brain and how it reacts to stress. That's um, such an amazing tool to give people. Yeah, because then I understood, oh, yeah, you're not crazy. Those things, you weren't imagining them. Oh, yeah, yeah it really wasn't your fault. Like, I was 20, 27 years old, and I was still thinking that seven-year-old me was, you know, naughty. I was bad. guilting myself yeah. that I had some responsibility. Yeah. And it's not true. And no. they teach you, and they give you all those tools, and then you start hearing things click in your head and then somebody else comes with something that they've that just clicked in their head and you're like you walk I walked out of there like I was floating I wasn't even there like I just my brain was 
we yeah. were quiet during our meal after that. That's beautiful. Um, after that, you know, class uh, that the director gave. And That's can you like imagine the empowerment that came from that and seeing all my sisters and how much they've progressed and yeah, how, you know, they remind me of things when I've reached out, Hey, this is not cool. This is what I'm feeling. Oh, remember we learned this or do you remember the notes from this? You, you get know, a community. After, yeah, yeah. And that is so wonderful. A community you know? that not only shares a horrible story, but yeah. a community that shares a beautiful new chapter. Yes. And that's just, nice. I've been strengthened by each and every one of them. Every time I've gone into surgery, they're checking on me. They're um, Aww, just wonderful. You know, they've, they've been such a rock in my, in my story. And, um, and it was all again, through the foundation and the two amazing people that founded it, you know? And so yeah. uh, I'll never be able to like thank them enough. There's just no way. Um, I think you do. Like, I know you feel like you don't do enough, but the fact that you've had 38 people reach out to you and you share your story and you're a microphone of hope and healing, that's the biggest thing anyone could ever have because you're healing and you're so much help, healthier and happier. And that's what they want. I know. And it's crazy to think, right, that someone as payment just wants to see you thrive like what the heck that's not usually <laughs> yeah. what happens you know oh totally like, yeah because uh, I was and this is something that another retreat sister of mine said that she did too when I first heard about it and my dad was like really pushing me and I was trying to give him proof no no this is like not a great cause like because people just don't do this you know and There's I was gotta be a for hours yeah, I was for hours looking up things and I could not find one single thing and neither did my retreat sisters. So Aww. I finally, you know, folded my arms and said, okay, yes, I, it's time for me to look into it. You are d definition of hypervigilance. Like even when someone's yeah. like, this could be a great thing for you. You're like, um, let me prove you wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that was me. And yeah. so. I know that that's what happens with most people because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, talking to, uh, I felt comfortable enough to share these things with my retreat sisters and they're like, yeah, or they would say something else and I'd say the same thing. So, yeah, it's just, that's beautiful. It was wonderful and it still is wonderful now thinking back. I love it. And it's been what, 2017, I can do math, uh, four, three ish, three, almost four years. It'll be, yeah. Almost so four years. Um, yeah. When you, like, the first few months back into the world after this experience, what was it like really realizing? Because you said you remember the moment you tore, like, you tore up your suicide letter and decided to live. What was it like those first few months of the new chapter of your life? Um. Like, I, I always felt like I was just going on neutral. Like, I felt like I was just kind of catching my bearings. And I was looking to make sense of everything. So it was a bit overwhelming at first. Um, yeah. Because you suddenly have answers to things that you haven't had answers to for decades. You know, in my case, totally. it was two decades. And so yeah. it just, it, w it wasn't the easiest, you know. And I remember 
with the money that I took from selling everything and getting rid of it, all of my plan, I, I planned a vacation in that following February uh-huh. and I was at the beach and my friend just kind of let me do my thing. And, um, it was then that I realized like, you know, just like the ocean waves, as cheesy as it may sound like, Oh, it's not it's cheesy. Gonna come and go. Yeah. It's going to come and go. And you have to be ready. Yeah. And and that's the decision that I took to be ready. Yeah. To um, equip myself and to read books and to listen to stories and to, you know, express my feelings and learn to say no. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just so many things that make sense. What? The work doesn't end there. It just kind of starts there, you know. And so... Yeah, you have to make the commitment and find beauty in the fact that you're going to keep on healing. What I keep so. hearing from you is a lot of it like you shared before, right? The before the retreat of hypervigilance, you had no choice but to be hypervigilant and you felt hopeless and you had no choice but to really the thought of ending your life, right? That was the only choice you saw. Yes. And then you go to this retreat and everything you've said is, I had a choice to choose happiness. I had a choice to be prepared. I have a choice. And you've realized that what happened to you didn't have to control the rest of your life. And you're choosing a beautiful future in the waves of life. And I think like the ocean, I think is beautiful. It's not cheesy. It's beautiful. (laughs) Thank you you for that. Yeah, it is. It is all about choice. And you know, the choices we make will impact others and it'll impact our life. And so, yeah. Yeah. And feeling like I have that I am enough and that I am also, I'm allowed to take the space that I take both physically, mentally, and, you know, emotionally in my life and in the lives of those around me. And that space is beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) And And that space is something that the world benefits from having. Thank you. Thank you. It's so true. I feel honored hearing your story and got me all tearing up over here. (laughs) (laughs) When you were in a state of hypervigilance and you dedicated your childhood to basically protecting your sister, and also you dedicated your childhood to helping your parents start in a new world, really. Yeah. What was that like when when these memories would come up? Um, so in my family life back in Mexico, I was seen as a little girl who just, I was a little off. I was a little weird. I was, um, I would have these outbursts, you know, where I wouldn't know how to control my emotions. Like I remember on my eighth birthday, my cousin like blew out my candles and I just lost it. And everybody kind of looked at me and looked at my mom kind of like in a judging way, but my grandfather took me out and he didn't even know about this, but he was practicing grounding techniques. He's like, okay, I want you to look at the roses. Like what color are they? Smell them, you know? And so that really helped. And I had that understanding from him. And so, yeah. And he's still, you know, he's no longer here, but his lessons continue. And, but it was just stressful. It was a lot of stress, a lot of heaviness that I carried that I thought was mine to carry. Yeah. Um, 
you know, these little stones that I would put in my pocket is I would just go through life and I'd throw one in and be like, this is now for you to carry. And uh, when I decided that it was no longer mine, like that just was super freeing. Yeah. Cause that's a lot. Like you, you at eight years old had no idea you were taking on all these burdens. You had no idea that you were like how much what this one person chose to do with you affected was affecting you. And like the candles makes perfect sense because you couldn't control things, yeah. but you could control your birthday candles. And then, that not being something that being taken away from you is another level of like betrayal, even though it's so simple. But when you're in trauma and trying to survive mm-hmm. as a kid, it makes complete sense. Yeah. Um, and so things have just healed also in family relationships, you know, and things like that. Yeah. Because so, I've learned that hey, it's not for you to control. It's you're okay. <laughs> do you remember like the time when you finally realized you could let go of all these stones? Yeah, it was in February when I was at the beach, and I was just like, it's okay, let go. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> like, and that was the trip that you you used the money from selling everything to start a new day. Yeah. And how beautiful to be there as the ocean is carrying the sand and things back into the ocean that you're letting, like, theoretically letting the ocean take those stones. Yeah. And letting them wash away. It was it was the best. <laughs> and so beautiful. So we always ask this question, Kay. Okay. Um, if there is a a person out there who's a victim of child sex abuse, and they are feeling as hopeless as you did when you were making the plan to lose your life or take your life, what would you tell them? Love yourself for moments more. Always oh. take it. Day by day, take it minute by minute if it has to be that way. But just one, just hold on. Look into things like the retreat. Look into finding your angel, which is, for me was my therapist. And put hope into that. Sometimes that's even hard in, of a, in, a, you know, in itself, just finding someone that can help you. But I assure you that there are people who want this to who want to help you you know they go to school for years and years to be able to help you and yeah that's just beautiful like that universities think that this is like something that needs to be done so they provide it yeah mental health is becoming more and more of a normalized kind of you know term and just use that to your advantage right now and hold on yeah. Hold on. Keep looking and and also just like know that your story is valid and that you're deserving of everything that's out there to help you. Because so many times I was like, oh, I'm not going to go, you know? Yeah. Uh, You know, yeah. Or like even the day, the day of my brother was driving me down and he was, I was trying to like start a fight with him for him to like turn around or something. And he just looks at me and he's like excuse me lady you're not gonna get out of this so you should just stop now <laughs> he's like uh-uh girlfriend <laughs> and, you are going yeah he's like i want to speed because you're going you know and so that was also beautiful and there's people in your life and it's, yeah. there's not be that person and prepare yourself by going through these things so that you can be there for someone else beautiful 
I love it. I just wrote down your quote, love yourself a little more, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to put that on the wall. I was going to say, we're going to make a bumper sticker out of that or yeah. something. Yeah, we'll give you credit. Don't worry. You'll get credit. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was the one of the quotes where I was like, oh, that needs to be written down. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you so much for coming on and being willing to share your story and share with us all the things that you're going through right now. We know it's it's hard to be vulnerable like this, and we really appreciate you being willing to do that for us and for the people that will listen yeah and reach out and let me know if like things go to the roadblock and brandon can get you connected with attorneys or if you need a letter or whatever thanks so much you're welcome definitely keep that in mind i just thank you for providing the space for me to to just you know ugly cry through a phone so you don't have to see me oh god i'm ugly (laughs) crying over here so i'll double you up on that and also thank you for just sharing like thank you yeah thank you you're welcome so glad you could join us this week and be with us as this survivor has opened up their heart and story in the hope that it may inspire someone information about this week's interview can be found on our website utahsurvivors.org Trauma creates change you don't choose. Healing is about creating the change you do choose. This program is supported in part by grant number 18W2025 from the Utah Office for Victims of Crime, awarded by the Office on Violence Against Women. The opinions, findings, conclusions, and recommendations expressed in this program are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Office on Violence Against Women, the U.S. Department of Justice, or the Utah Office for Victims of Crime. Our theme song is DNA by Najee, featuring Amber Lynn.